Colossians 3, 12 through 15. And that can be found in uh, the page 984 of your pew Bible, which is located in front of you. And while you are getting there, a little story. The movie, The Boys in the Boat, is a true story about the University of Washington rowing team's inspiring journey to compete for gold at the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. The eight crew members were from all kinds of different backgrounds in the height of the Great Depression. Regardless of that, when they got on their boat and dressed in their uniforms to compete, they became one unit. However, putting on the jersey and rowing didn't automatically make them synchronized in their hard work. If you've read the book, you know that a lot of times throughout their journey, they weren't perfectly synced. The author of the book, Daniel James Brown, goes into, into this idea of swing. The idea of swing is that it's the state during which oarsmen row in perfect synchronicity and also row the most effectively. It symbolizes the unity and bond of brotherhood between the American rowers at the 1936 Olympics. Swing is described as a kind of ideal state of harmony one that can only be achieved when all the rowers trust and respect each other. The brotherhood and togetherness of swing is also implicitly contrasted to the murderous hatred and racism that motivated Hitler and the Nazis. In the passage we're about to read, Paul will exhort the Colossians, and in turn us, to put on clothes as well, the clothes of Christ, so that we can swing together in unity to the glory of God. Let's read. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful." Do I need to go anywhere else? It's just a wonderful text. The main point of this text is that God's chosen church ought to wear the clothes of Christ. God's chosen church ought to wear the clothes of Christ. And there's two breakdowns in this text that we're going to see. We're going to see a, a, a command that Paul gives us in verse 12a that's rooted in our identity. And then the remaining is going to be the application of that command. So let's begin with the command he gives to us in verse 12a. He says, Put on then, which implies that something has been taken off. So if we go back a few verses to verse 9b, we'll read, Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed. So if they had already taken off something and put on something, why does Paul say, put on then? Well, as a new man or woman in Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God through Christ. We are perfect in our position before God, but don't live perfectly on this side of heaven. In justification, our robes of unrighteousness are replaced by the robes of Christ's righteousness. That is our positional standing. We all know this. But we are told to put on practical righteousness as well, and this is our imitating of Jesus in our daily lives. Paul knows that believers bring baggage into their Christian life, which needs to continually be renewed by the Holy Spirit. That's part of the reason why we see him urge the Colossians to put to death the vices seen in verses 5 through 8. So when we arrive at verse 12, Paul has moved from the negative things they must remove from themselves to the positive things they must clothe themselves with. God invites us to receive the blessings of walking in the newness of life 
and uses clothing imagery to urge us to cultivate these virtues, that will enrich the body through practice. So we've put, off, we've put on the new self, which means it's necessary to put on the virtues of Christ himself. But this is not automatic. It takes time and practice, and it's best done in community. Before Paul tells the Colossians what kind of virtues a Christ follower should practice putting on, he reminds them of something. He reminds them of who they are in Christ. Paul roots his command put on then in their new identity. He says, chosen, holy, and beloved. Though they were rebel outcasts, God brought them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. An application here is to remember your choosing before your doing. Remember your choosing before your doing. Perhaps one of the greatest incentives to practicing godly living is to remember that we were once blind, lost, selfish, unsaved, dead sinners who could do nothing but sin against the holy God. That is all we brought to the table. That's all we could think about doing. When God, who is rich in mercy, chose to save us in Christ, he did so on his own accord, not ours. While we are sinners, Christ died for us. This is more than a reminder, Delray. This is a great motivation for godly living, and Paul does not want us to forget it. God's love led to us being chosen, which results in us being holy. But it doesn't end there. When the boys in the boat put on their jerseys and stepped into the boat, that was just the beginning of their journey. Just sitting in the boat would never have gotten them to the Olympics. No one in the world would see them as some beacon of hope in light of the Hitler regime. They had something to row for, and they wanted everyone to know it. The same goes for us, except our motivation is eternal. We want to show the world God's glory. We want others to know the one true living God who calls us his, and God mercifully uses us as broken vessels to do just that. How? By putting on Christ's clothes. Clothes are meant to be visible, external in nature. By putting them on, we help others to see the Lord's grace, mercy, and power. And now we move on to the command applied. So continuing on in verse 12, Paul goes through this rapid-fire list of, of virtues that all Christians are to put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It's important to note that Paul is not calling for some moral self-help drive here, but rather he wants the Colossians to put on these qualities to look more like Christ together. Christ himself embodied these. Remember the Lord's patience towards Peter time and time again? Remember Jesus humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross? Remember the compassion Christ had towards the crowds because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? The Colossians have put on the new self, as seen in verse 10, and are identified with him, but at the same time, they must put on the virtues that characterize Christ. And rather than break down each characteristic, we're going to focus more on the overall theme, namely that Paul is telling the Colossians to clothe themselves in these virtues for the greater good of their community, the glory of God, and for the good of non-believers around them. Paul stresses the five personal qualities required for this, and then he focuses on the actual relationships themselves. Each one of these qualities mentioned in this passage expresses themselves in relationships. Anyone can say, I have all these virtues in a vacuum, but the real test comes in community. In verse 13, Paul shows what this should look like in practice. He says, bearing with one another and, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. 
bearing with one another and forgiving one another indicate a close relationship between the attitudes in verse 12 and the actions commanded in verse 13. Being able to bear with and forgive one another in the context of the church would be a natural overflow of the virtues we are to put on. For any church to grow, we will at times need to put up with people whom we wouldn't normally associate with. The same goes with forgiveness. Who are you struggling to bear with right now? Who are you struggling to forgive? To forgive means to forgive as Christ forgave you. Jesus is the standard of forgiveness. And as the church bears with one another and forgives one another, they show the world the gospel. That though Christ was unlike us in his perfection, he chose to draw near to us, bear our burdens, and forgive us time and time again. Forgiveness comes easier when your heart is filled with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. For any church to thrive, true Christ-like forgiveness must pump through its veins. Moving on to verse 14, Paul says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul chooses love as the supreme virtue in which to put on, like a cloak in order to cover everything else. Love is pictured here as a binding or unifying force, and it is only God's love which is strong enough to hold together a band of renewed rebels who aim to glorify their God. It is love that unifies all the other virtues and without which none could attain their full power. In a Christian community, a mere list of moral regulations will never be enough. Only love can suffice. And Paul ends on verse 15 with another and. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body. Paul certainly sees peace as one of the key blessings that a Christian experiences. This peace is a sense of unity in him and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. This peace, in this context, Paul is not reducing peace to merely an individualized sensation, but one that must rule in the body of believers as well. In other words, Paul is saying, let Christ, the ultimate peace giver, rule over you. Now the word rendered here, rule, was commonly used to reference the Olympic Games and other sports. The metaphor is taken from the judge in the Olympic Games, who was the umpire or moderator, and as such, presided over them and distributed the prizes to the victors. In short, what Paul is trying to get across to the Colossians is that the peace of Christ is not something they have to try to accomplish, but to let happen. The application here is to keep calm and let peace carry on. But how? How do we let this peace happen? Well, we are active in letting this peace rule over us by trusting in God's word and applying God's truth. In Romans 15, 13, we read, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That same passage in the NLT version says this, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Because we trust in him, he will fill us with joy and peace. But it begins with our trust in him. We look to Christ, who is our peace, to fill us with his peace as we continually trust in him. We let the peace which rules over our hearts be the undercurrent of every tough relational situation we find within the body of believers. We are not perfect, but Christ is. Paul finishes verse 15 
with one more and, and be thankful. It seems like an afterthought, but it regularly punctuates throughout the letter. letter. We see it in chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. Paul reminds the Colossians to be thankful because the spirit of thankfulness promotes harmony and peace. It's as if he is saying, in light of your standing with Christ and the mercies of grace bestowed upon you, be thankful and live in unity with one another. Believers ought to be full of gratitude to God for his gracious calling so that we can swing together in unity for his glory. Two closing applications. First, everything we do begins with a who. Everything we do begins with a who. And the name of that who is Jesus. Our great king must be at the center of our being and our doing. If he is not in both, we will be rote. Because God chose us to be his in Christ before the foundation of the world, we do things differently than the world. However, in our broken world, we are often tempted to forget our identity. We are constantly comparing and forgetting. We must be vigilant in remembering whose we are if we're going to be diligent in living out that reality. Spend time meditating on him. Chew on his word. Go through Ephesians slowly. Spend time with him. If you're doing a new Bible in a year plan like me, that's, that's awesome. Are you with him in it? Are you with him in that plan? If not, press the pause button and sit at his feet. There is no stop button on the enemy's remote. It's just seek and destroy. Where are you spending your time? What are you watching, reading, listening to, etc.? Don't lose sight of Christ. Remember who you were before him. Recall the moment when he opened your eyes and reflect on the eternal implications of now being his. May this glorious reality only increase our joy. Second and last, we put on the clothes he chose with those he chose. We put on the clothes he chose with those he chose. We are called to do something about this glorious reality. We are to put on virtues that are Christ-like. We don't just sit in the boat and do nothing. Not sure where to begin? Look to Christ. Look at his compassion for the, for the lost, his patience with the disciples, his kindness towards strangers, the humility in going to the cross, and the forgiveness he has shown to each of us in this room. Putting these types of clothes on won't come naturally. I can attest to that. It takes practice. It takes time. It takes discipline. But to not put on these virtues is a great disservice to the Lord and to the body of believers itself. We don't practice putting on these virtues individually, but together as a body. And there's 400 of us in this boat. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another will take a lifetime together. A thought to consider. Is there someone you are struggling to bear with now? Have you brought this person before the Lord Jesus in prayer? Have you asked Christ to give you the strength to bear with them as they are one in body with Christ? If our hearts don't learn to bear, they will soon become bitter. Go to the Father tonight. We are to clothe ourselves in these virtues for the good of our church body, for the glory of the Lord, and to show the unbelieving world what the gospel looks like in action. Remember, what we do is not for temporal fame, but for eternal gain. May the Lord give us strength to persevere till the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just praise you for your word tonight. Lord, 
we know that we want to follow you and we want to put on all that you have called us to put on. God, we also know that we are unable to do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. God, would you, would you give us strength, supernatural strength to do this, not individually, but together as a body. God, give us patience with one another as you have had so much patience with us. May we learn to love bearing with one another. May we be quick to forgive. And God, may we point others in this world who don't know you to you. Heavenly Father, would you be with us tonight as we walk out these doors? In your name we say it. Amen.